0: Welcome to the Abstract Doctors Podcast Special, the Abstract Veterans Series. Today, Char Gatlin and Dr. Ron Seal speak with Dr. Emily Dennis. For more information, please visit limbic-cenc.org. Visit the Abstract Doctors for information and upcoming podcasts. The Abstract Doctors Podcast. The doctors are in. Open up your mind. And say ah.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to a, another abstract veteran series podcast with your co-host Char Gatlin and the always informative and technical, Ron, the real deal steel. Today we have a very special guest with us, Miss Emily Dennis, who's graciously volunteered to come onto the show and discuss her work. So I guess first and foremost, Miss Dennis, or Dr. Dennis, I apologize, welcome to the show. Thank you. And uh, just to take a few minutes to tell us about yourself, what you do, and uh, sort of how you fit into the bigger limbic sensory picture.
2: Yeah, so I'm a professor at the University of Utah in the Department of Neurology, where I work with Dr. Lisa Wild and Dr. David Tate in their TBI and concussion center. And they lead the neuroimaging core for the Sensi Limbic Consortium. So. I'm part of their group helping to lead the processing and the analysis of the, the MRI data.
1: Okay, and with that, uh, you know, reading over the abstract and, and kind of what uh, what you're doing, would you sort of outline where you're, what you will, I guess, what you are doing and sort of where your research is taking
2: you? So uh, with, this, w- with this paper, what we're trying to do is trying to, um, well, in some ways trying to take, trying to identify the effects of TBI Um, in a way that is, uh, that we can see across the whole group. One of the issues with traumatic brain injury is that it usually has uh, pretty variable effects across the brain. So you might see, especially with mild injury, you'll have somewhat subtle effects and they might vary uh, spatially. So if you're trying to examine everybody together, assuming that in a group analysis, everybody's going to have the same sort of disruption, that might not necessarily um pan out the way that you're hoping. But the analysis that we, we, the, the analysis that we did here um, is a little bit more um robust to those sorts of to, to that issue and, and gives more of a global measure of of brain dysfunction um, in a way that's also kind of easy to understand, brain aging. We all know that the aging brain is not not necessarily a good thing. It happens of course, but we don't want it to happen at an accelerated pace. Um, and it's an easy way to kind of translate the disruptions that can occur with TBI and its comorbidities. It's a way that's, that's easy to understand, um, you know, what it means functionally.
1: Wow. That's very interesting. Ron.
3: Oh, yeah. So as, um, as you approach the study, obviously, um, veterans families are very concerned that when they've had uh, a mild tbi concussion or several concussions or ptsd or uh, uh, other uh, diagnoses um, that uh, that they uh, may be at increased uh, uh, risk of of uh, having neurodegeneration and maybe getting dementia at a uh, at all or at an earlier age so um why don't you talk a little bit about, uh, about? Uh, I'm sure you're very careful in terms of not wanting to uh, scare the bejesus out of anyone, but at the same time, um, really trying to get some important information out there so that people uh, are informed. So uh, how do you balance doing that?
2: Sure. Yeah, it's important. You don't want to be alarmist. You want to be rooted in the data. Um, so the first thing that I would say is that in this paper, we were looking for both evidence of advanced brain aging and accelerated brain aging. And what I mean by that is advanced brain aging could be someone's brain looks a year older than it is. And that might continue over time and not necessarily get worse. You're just always going to look a year older than you are, than you actually are. Whereas accelerated brain aging, maybe right now someone's brain looks a year older, but in five years it looks two years older and, and so on. And that might be a bit more, um, Uh, concerning because, of course, over time, that's going to become a greater problem. Um, So the first thing I would say is that we did not find evidence for accelerated brain aging at this point. Um, Obviously, we can't prove that it doesn't exist. That's not how science works. But at least in our cohort at this time, um, we're not seeing that, which would be very concerning. Um, It may be that years down the line with much longer follow up, we see some of this some signs of this, but we're not seeing that right now. So first thing that that we didn't see that. Um, but this is also what we, we think that this could be a useful biomarker for determining the effectiveness of various interventions in the future. Um, you know, it's a, it's a pretty, um, simple measure to compute. You don't, you, you get one score. And so Uh, this, uh, yes, seeing advanced brain aging, um, is of course concerning, but, um, it's also something that can get better with time. You can have individuals whose brain age improves, um, through, you know, series of interventions and life habits and such.
3: That that was a wonderful distinction between uh, advanced versus accelerating uh, accelerated aging. So so if someone uh, had a score that was a little bit high right now, you couldn't definitively say that it wouldn't accelerate, but right now there's no evidence that it would, and I would think that that would be uh, one less thing that people would need to worry about. So uh, if you could, why don't you tell us a little bit about what types of things you found uh, was causing uh, uh, someone to have advanced aging?
2: So the the main um, focus of this paper was, of course, TBI. And so individuals uh, with a history of deployment TBI had advanced brain aging. And, and it was about one year. So those the group who had who had a history of deployment TBI, their brain looked a year older. Um, all things being equal to those who did not. Um, And we found that with deployment TBI only, not with non-deployment TBI, um, which is an important thing to understand that this isn't just a mild TBI, that there's something unique to the deployment and combat situations. Um,
3: Now, was that for both men and women?
2: No, yeah, that's one of the important pieces is that this only was the case for men. Um, for, For women... Uh, we had some unexpected findings, <clears throat> and I think uh, we we need to follow these up, but when we we did see an interaction, meaning that the effects in men and women were different, and in men it was in the expected direction, where those who have a history of deployment TBI had older brains, whereas in women it was the opposite direction, which suggests that deployment TBI was, was better, which is not what we expect, it's not what we take away from that. Um, so that was one piece of what we had to do is dig into why are we seeing this effect in females? Um, part of the reason was that it's a small sample. Um, and as a multi-site study, there were some sites that had smaller samples than others or more uneven samples that were not going to be, um, as useful and maybe contributing noise to the analysis. So that was one important piece to take out is those sites that had, Um, much smaller samples with regards to to women who had a history of deployment injury. But the other piece is looking into the event level data. So looking into the descriptions from the participants of of all of their TBI history or their potential TBI history. In the women, we saw a number of instances of um, intimate partner violence or possible child abuse in in their history of, of TBI And we saw this mainly in the women who did not have a history of deployment TBI. So this is an important thing. What were we considering to be a control population? When we're saying that we're comparing deployment TBI to controls, does that mean those who have no history of TBI or those who may have TBI, but it's not deployment TBI? And the first round was that latter where there were some women who had had a history of traumatic brain injury, but it was outside of the deployment context. And in looking at the event level data, TBI that's related to domestic violence is is a whole different animal. There's um, there's a repetitiveness, a chronicity that you have to consider. There's um, there's different mechanisms. Um, hypoxia due to choking, strangulation has, of course, horrible effects on the brain. Uh, so that's not really a uh, that doesn't really qualify as a healthy control. Um, so, when we looked within a, uh, a cleaner sample of women who had a history of deployment TBI to those who had no history of TBI, we didn't see any effect. Um, that's not to say that there aren't effects there. We just have too small of a sample, I think, to reliably say whether there are or not. Um, but um, taking care of some of the um, some of the nuances um, helped us understand that better, and I think it's something that needs further research to to fully dig into the various sources of TBI in female service members and veterans because it's clearly impacting brain health.
1: It's rewarding that's, to see the. A- oh, I'm sorry, Rob.
3: No, the only thing I was going to quickly say is that um, the the whole uh, uh, aspect of intimate partner uh, uh, violence creating uh, brain injuries with women is uh, is such a critical issue that um, maybe we'll put some links at the end of our podcast uh, on on the pink concussion literature uh, for people who are interested in knowing more about that.
2: And we actually have some colleagues who are starting a multi-site study of um, head trauma due to intimate partner violence. Um, it's led by Dr. Kary S. out of Rutgers, so maybe we can link to link to her resources as well.
3: That would be terrific. Excellent. Go ahead, yeah. Jari. I didn't mean to cut you off. Yeah, no, no, not at
1: all. A great, great point and something that needed to be addressed. It's rewarding to see the the focus on the female soldier. I think that that's been overlooked for a long time. What this war has shown us, unlike many in the past, that the battlefield is asymmetrical, and that our female, you know, friends and comrades in arms are right there beside us. With an asymmetrical battlefield, almost I mean, not a lot of times doing doing the same mission for sure. Uh, I don't have the statistics in front of me, but on another note, looking at your you know your sample size between men and women, I would say that's somewhat generally reflective of the military population. I want to say it's something between twelve and sixteen or seventeen percent of the of the current fighting force, as as well as about a year ago. Anyway, is about the same the same makeup. So a few percentage points off, but but definitely. In the ballpark as they say for you know horseshoes and hand grenades you know you have to get it kind of close um that being said uh could you elaborate on any challenges or successes that you've had during your recruitment and retention process um of, of both both sexes for sure but particularly women in this case
2: um so i can't actually speak to um, issues with recruitment and retention because i'm not involved we're not a data collection site so i haven't had um, any experience with that
1: okay fair enough we also have a, uh, we're gonna shift gears here for just a minute. A question that came in from our uh, advisory board uh, that was sent in. Um, how was alcohol misuse defined in the study?
2: Um, alcohol misuse was defined by the uh, the scale, the audit C, the alcohol use disorders um, scale. And with that, we weren't looking at it as a binary variable, you know, there's a, a yeah, it's a continuous scale and you can have a, a cutoff at which you say this is problematic and this is not uh, we were looking at it continuously so there was a relationship whereas alcohol use either normal alcohol use or leading into problematic alcohol use increased brain age increased
1: yeah no and, and unfortunately as we were discussing a while I ago I mean alcohol definitely leads to a lot of other other, I don't know, intended and unintended exposures that can only complicate, complicate brain injury. Ron?
3: I was, um, uh, in, in reading the, the study, I, I was struck by, well, well, you had an analysis where you put a bunch of, uh, a number of variables that seemed to be important. It was uh, depression, I believe, uh, uh, PTSD, um, the, the traumatic brain injury. I think there was a uh, age, maybe one other one. Um, could you talk a little bit about the results of that analysis? And uh, at some point here, you know, perhaps we can talk about um, how people can use this information maybe to lower their risk.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh, you mean the analysis where they're all in the same model together? Correct. Yeah. So we... As you know, these are all very comorbid. Um, they often they often co-occur and it's hard to tease apart what are the effects of one versus, versus another. And so with this analysis where we had everything in the same model, we wanted to make sure that the effects that we were saying were due to TBI were not in fact due to alcohol or depression or PTSD. And of course we can't say that for sure, but uh, with this analysis, we were examining whether each of these components contributed important information to the model um, and the result could be either, no, adding all of these pieces did not significantly improve your, you know, the variance and outcome or, or how well you're able to predict brain age, in which case that would mean that some of them were contributing redundant information. Um, but what we found was that each of them were contributing some unique information that they were each contributing significantly to the model. So. Brain brain age is influenced by traumatic brain injury, depression severity, PTSD severity, and alcohol use in ways that probably overlap somewhat, but are also unique in some ways.
1: This is maybe maybe out of the box, but I always like to look forward, you know, as opposed to look back and see where maybe this research can go. I mean, this is just an opinion, but what do you foresee as future research opportunities based upon what, what you're finding right now? Do you see it going in a different direction or maybe splitting off or or more focus on one area versus another?
2: Yeah, so one thing is we would like to continue following up the participants to see what happens over a longer longer follow-up time and as participants age, um, if some new effects show up um, over that period of time, because our participants are generally young and healthy. Um, But this also we think could be a useful biomarker for, testing whether future interventions are effective. Um, Your brain age can increase, but it can also decrease.
1: I never really, really thought about it that way. Ron? Um,
3: Yeah, I don't know if it's a question as much as um, just that there's a a growing literature out there that's been published about um, uh, about uh, alcohol and depression in particular being um, risk factors for uh, for Alzheimer's and Alzheimer's related uh, diseases, uh, uh, and at the same time, if if you, if you get your depression treated and if you stop, uh, you know, consuming too much alcohol, uh, that that can lower your risk. So, um, again, for individuals who might be uh, um, Listening to this and saying, "Oh geez, I have PTSD. I've had a couple of brain injuries you know during my deployment I've you know I, I drink maybe too much. Um, you know, there are things that that uh, that people can do to lower that risk,
2: yep, yeah, yep, yeah, definitely. it's not it's not a a one-way track. you're not you're not just headed off in a bad direction."
0: I
1: have an observation as well, we, we're sort of backing up for a minute, you know, we spoke about, or you, you brought up, rightfully so, you know, a history, past history of TBI coming from, you know, other injuries, domestic violence, you know, things of that nature. How is that information ascertained? Was that, did that come off a screening mechanism where they self-reported prior injuries?
2: Yes. Yeah. They were asked in detail about all prior potentially concussive events.
1: It's uh, and I don't I don't want to put a, put a bad light on myself, but I was I was an old infantry soldier for sure. And infantrymen are trained to fight, and when they don't fight, they go looking for a fight. If they can't find a fight, they fight themselves, and generally alcohol's involved in it. So you're getting probably a lot of folks. And this is just as I said from my world that that have these injuries on a not daily basis, but gee whiz, once a month for sure. You know that aren't really diagnosed. You know that they're even if they were, they're not talking about it. You know and they're they're picked up so it would be really interesting to see if there was a mechanism down the road where you could was sensitive enough to or open enough to pick up you know some of that because coming out of some of these these combat mos's and others you know they have there's a long history of repetitive tbi that you know unfortunately doesn't doesn't get reported unless it's some sort of accident or or you know adverse events what they used to call it in the military or some kind of significance but um
2: yeah well and that also highlights the importance of the sub-concussive events too like we are Absolutely. all thinking about concussion and traumatic brain injury but there's a growing literature showing that it doesn't have to be a concussive event to have an impact on brain health
1: no no it does and then you take into account a lot of the sort of surroundings that someone's in Yeah. a lot of the you know the socioeconomic components and the other exposures and and as i brought up last time and i, I guess i am sound like a broken record with it that you know sometimes tbi is a secondary event behind a more primary life-threatening event at that time and it's not treated and you know unfortunately it gets to six months then one year then you know year and a half when it pops up on the radar and, and thus complicating the uh, any type of treatment paradigm yeah it's uh it's just this is great work this is this is fun this is useful and this is stuff that can definitely and will be translated down that's going to help a lot of people and as you pointed out you know know, uh, just a few minutes ago, it opens up a lot of different avenues of opportunity and research approach for some of these other—I don't want to say finite, but smaller. No, 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 they're not smaller. I, I take those words back. But other ways that people are injured in in other you know other aspects of their life, whether it be military, civilian, or, or, or otherwise. Yeah, there's, so, there's a uh,
2: a large group a large consortium that i work with that is looking to see how brain age is impacted in individuals with depression um, with a range of outside of the military context um, with a range of psychiatric and neurological disorders
1: now this affects us all it affects our families it affects the communities that we live in and it affects just almost all all walks of life for sure no that's uh that's good to hear
3: so Emily, what are what are the what are the take home messages that you'd like to leave our listeners, uh, clinicians, uh, service members, veterans, family members with uh, from from your study? And it's, it really is a terrific study.
2: Um, thank you very much, and thanks for the opportunity to talk today about it. Um, well, I would say that the take home messages would be that um, it's not new to hear that traumatic brain injury and its comorbidities are are bad for brain health. Um, but we have a, we have a number now we have a, a, some way of conceptualizing how bad they, they can be. Um, you know, what we saw is one year, um, those who've had a, had a history of deployment injury. Um, so, you know, that's one thing to take away from that is your brain doesn't look 10 years older. Um, so we don't need to start worrying that people are going to be developing Alzheimer's disease at age 40. Um, it's a significant effect, but it's not a, um, something that should be overly concerning. And I think it's something uh, that hopefully can measure progress over time as people are um, make lifestyle changes to decrease the amount of alcohol they consume or um, start treatment for, um, for, for depression and PTSD, um, that hopefully this is a, a concrete way that they can see um, some improvement <clears throat> I think that another important takeaway, as we've mentioned already, is that um, the impact of TBI in in female veterans and service members is something that has not been examined as much, simply because the sample isn't really there. And here, even in this massive um, limbic sensi sample, we still didn't really have enough to get into all of the all of the details. So. Um, I think this needs to be an area of, of more in-depth study in the future. So maybe you,
3: you repeat this study in about five or 10 years when we have a lot more people in the registry and in the study.
2: Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, And then hopefully if we do, you know, one of our hypotheses was that we were, we hypothesized that we would see accelerated brain aging. And thankfully we didn't, because that would have been a little bit concerning if we did at this point. Um, but it might be something that we see in a longer follow-up, but we'll also be looking for things that moderate that if there's, um, demographic factors or other clinical factors that might mitigate any signs of accelerated aging.
1: Wow. This is, this is, this is, this is great work. I, I, (laughs) you, you, you've answered about every question that I could come up with (laughs) one way and you well, it's a lot of information that uh, I can't wait till it's translated down to to a lower level to a to a uh, you know a, a lay layperson, for example, population that can can start moving forward to sort of realize the complexity of this injury and the you know the numerous sequelae and nuances that are associated with it. That it's it's similar in some ways to, to me anyway, where you you have symptoms of a common cold and it could be 25 different things. You know, with TBI, you could have symptoms and it. 25 different things under under TBI or post concussive syndrome or what have and not and not know. Uh, Ron, you have any any last uh, questions or thoughts?
3: Uh, yeah, just uh, I know we're going to provide some links here, uh, uh, you know, related to pink concussions, the study being done at Rutgers, uh, uh, you know, your article, and then lastly, the, 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 the very large and impressive lab you have there uh, uh, in Utah and at the Salt Lake City VA. And I was wondering if you could just uh, close out just telling us a little bit about, about that lab and the other, you know, just briefly, uh, the other kinds of things that you're studying. Uh, as part of uh, of that lab.
2: Yeah, so um, we've got a lot of projects going on, um, all of course centered on TBI and concussion, but various um, various levels, from um, the sort of work that I tend to do, which is all imaging and trying to um, compile data that exists together um, to some studies that are potentially uh, investigating um, treatments that that might help with some of these symptoms. Um, so one of the other efforts that I lead is um, is essentially it's a global consortium of um, neuroimagers who study traumatic brain injury and trying to get everybody to work together to um, share their data so that we can have larger sample sizes. Exactly what what um, Limbic Sensi was was setting out to do to have a large enough sample size to get into some of the really interesting questions. So trying to do that in other populations, pediatric TBI. Um, for example. So um, we we investigate a range of of patient populations um, with, you know, all the way from small studies where we're with the patients testing interventions all the way to large studies where we're trying to work with legacy data sets and large samples to see what patterns might emerge.
1: Uh, do you have any free time at all do You do, 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 doing all of these different studies yeah. oh my goodness
2: i have two kids so no
1: <laughs> <laughs> that's great well we've about hit uh hit the end of our allotted time uh, dr dennis do you
2: have any questions for us may i ask no thank you for doing this i think it's it's great to have have it translated back because so often we we write these papers and they're published and and great they're cited but um, you know they're not often made accessible to to people outside of academia even just accessible you can't read it without without paying some amount so um, I think it's a really important thing to to bring it back to the populations that we're trying to help.
1: Couldn't couldn't agree more. I could not agree more. Ron, do you have any closing thoughts?
3: I don't. Just uh, thank you, uh, Emily, Dr. Dennis, for the excellent work that you're doing and look forward to seeing your future
1: research. Thank you very much. As well, thanks for having, thank you for being on the show, Dr. Dennis. We really appreciate it. Thank you. And folks, on a, on a more somber note, um, what we just heard, and this is for folks out there that are listening, TBI is a very serious injury. It manifests in many different ways. It hits, as we just heard, many different aspects of the population. For many of you that were in the military, we serve and we continue to serve. So reach out to your comrades, you know, talk to them, you know, see if there's problems, if they have problems, let them come forward. If you don't want to talk like me, I don't talk all that much outside of something like this. That sounds kind of like a hypocrite saying that, but there are other resources available. We have links. There's links elsewhere. Look them up. You know, if those folks don't have the answer, I guarantee they'll point you in the right direction. It takes a team to get this done individual commitment to a group effort. That's what makes a team, a company work a society work and a civilization work, folks. That's not me, that's Vince Lombardi. So until next time, take care of yourselves and we look forward to seeing you again in our next podcast. Until then.
0: Thank you to Dr. Emily Dennis for joining Char Gatlin and Dr. Ron Seal today on the Abstract Doctors Podcast special, the Abstract Veteran Series. For more information, please visit limbic-cenc.org. The Abstract Doctors is produced by The Abstract Athlete. For more information, please visit theabstractathlete.com and as always, follow us on all of our social media platforms under The Abstract Doctors and The Abstract Athlete. The office is now closed, but join us for our next appointment soon.